It's like if you go into a standard W-2 company, it's like, hey, you know, the starting wage is 50000 to whatever, and you get this many days of vacation. Here, it's so much more flexible because you've got people who are working in a country that, you know, maybe $4 an hour is a good wage versus in another country, that same position would start at $14 an hour. Schwartzman, author of The Digital Pivot, and this is the Earned Media Podcast. My guest today is Michonne Thomas, and she helps people hire virtual assistants and virtual employees. Uh, in the cloud, in the gig economy. And I am delighted to have her with me. Michonne, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to you be know. here. Yeah, it's great to talk to you because I mean, this this area of you know recruiting people either on Upwork or <clears throat> guru.com or Fiverr, or even just you know directly uh, overseas is, is a challenging area. Uh, I know that's a very high failure rates for people who are hiring virtual assistants. So uh, talk to us a little bit about how you go about finding a virtual assistant for somebody uh, that's going to work out. Yeah, so I think that's one of the most important things to get to right off the bat is that, yeah, a lot of people won't work out. So instead of focusing so much on finding, you know, the dream person, because anyone can kind of seem like the dream on paper. I focus on systems, on getting like a repeatable system in place that you can bring in somebody and within a week figure out if they're going to work for you or not. And if not, it's no big deal because you've got that same repeatable system. You can go to the next person, bring them in. Um, I like to, I say, hire fast and fire fast as well um, because I don't spend a whole lot of time in the interviewing process, in the vetting process. I like to get people in the door and let them show me what they can actually do. Um, that's kind of really just the best thing that I've found over the years, the best predictor of whether someone's going to work out for for me, how quickly they can come in and, and pick up my systems. Is there any sort of benchmark? Like, do they have to have certain skills? Like, I mean, there must be some hurdle or some, you know, some way that you measure your candidates to decide yeah. whether you get a shot at it or not. For sure, for sure. Well, so the thing is, I tend to use Upwork because that's the first platform that I started with. Um, I find that a lot of people kind of stick with the one they're most used to. And so on Upwork, if you put a posting out there for a virtual assistant, you will get, um, you know, 50 applicants, maybe. So right away, as I skim through, uh, yeah, there's certain benchmarks. Like I'm looking for people who've had some, you know, positive reviews on their profiles before. Uh, people who have taken the time and read my job description, you'd be surprised how many you get back that are just like, hey, I see that you're looking for a customer service rep. And it's like, no, you didn't even read my my job posting. I'm looking for a virtual assistant. Um, and I will typically assign a quick test project as well, especially for something like a virtual assistant. It can be something as simple as um, I was planning a trip to Antarctica and just gave a couple lines of a, a test project like, hey, you know, go out there and find me, you know, six things that are like must haves for an Antarctica trip. And then that gave me a way to just see quickly how people think, how they organize it. Some people just spammed with like, you know, like six links from Amazon. It's like, all right, that's not really helpful. Other people had it very neatly laid out and organized and stuff like that. So I highly recommend test projects for, um, for VAs and many positions. If you can do something quick and easy that just lets you get an idea of how the person thinks and works. 
In terms of systems, break that down for us a little bit. What is a system that you would use? Like, how would you set one of those up and how does that work? Yeah, for, first of all, I have a very detailed onboarding document. So when somebody comes in with me, let's stick to the virtual assistant example, they're getting, you know, where I'm at time zone wise, how I communicate, what we'll use to communicate, whether it's Slack, Asana, Trello, um, whether we'll communicate in the Upwork platform itself. Um, they get my working hours, other key team members working hours, uh, how, you know, how we handle time off. Literally, it's a very detailed document that goes through just how how I work. Um, and when I'm helping clients to to hire people, I help them go through and set that up based on their team and, and what they need for their company, or their business. But it basically is just a welcome to the company that most people don't have when hiring. And because it's just all laid out from start to finish, it's very easy to just pull out little pieces and and and, and switch them around based on when things change in your company. You know, if you've got set working hours and they change, you can just slot that little piece out and put the rest of the information in. But so on day one, I noticed what a lot of people do is they've got this new person like, oh man, I have no idea what to do with them. For me, <laughs> you're starting with that onboarding doc. They come in and it's just like, hey, here's an hour, go through this and ask any questions that you want. So that really just gives them an up to speed of how we work. And then once they come to the end of that onboarding document, um, I have laid out tasks ready for them to go, ready for them to do um, usually a lot of Loom recordings because I love to do uh, you know, just record my screen so people can follow step by step. And it, I mean, that is so quick. I've had virtual assistants come on and I've laid out the step by step instructions, video recording, and they do the task all wrong. <laughs> like, that's a huge red flag. <laughs> you may not be the person because it's like I've got someone else who comes in and does it right from day one. It's like, hey, I, I, I'm all done with the task. You know, what's next? So that's the process that I teach my clients to use is to have something very strict for those first days to a week. And that way you get a really good judge of how people are doing. And if that person doesn't work out by like, let's say day two, repost the job. I go to my next candidate. They get the same onboarding doc. It's not a whole lot of work for me to just swap out Jane and replace her with Jill. You know, it just, it, it kind of flows. Now, is there a difference when it comes to full-time versus part-time? In terms of the how detail that I go into? Yeah, or The hiring process everything. I mean, do you find that it works better with a full-time employee than a part-time employee? Talk to us about sort of the differences in how you would consider hiring someone part-time versus full-time. Yeah, for me, a lot of it's the same. Um, I put the part-time people through the same rigorous process of onboarding because I just find it smoother all around. Um, one of the things I do with part-time people a lot more is work on um, flexible hours. But Something that's standard from all my people, whether it's full or part-time, is I will, we, they, we commit to a set schedule up front because that allows us to both be on at the same time, to know that each other, when, it, when we can get a hold of each other. Um, so I may have like nine to noon if it's somebody that's just coming in for three hours a day or something like that. But th that's one of the key things that I find as well. Like so many people in this, in this, this industry, this, this, this world that we're living in now want flexible hours. And I mean, I do too, but I've also earned it <laughs> by being very consistent and, you know, 
building up enough systems so that I get things done for my clients on time. Um, so what I'd say to people coming in is just I really hammer them on let's step, start with set hours at first. And then as you earn your independence over time, like I'm happy to, you know, my best people, I don't, I don't care. Work at 2 a.m., work at 2 p.m., like whenever you want. I just need to know when I can get a hold of you. And again, that's um, laid out in onboarding. And I ask for feedback from them in onboarding as well. Like what time zone are you in? You know, what, what questions do you have for me about communication and how we should do that and things like that. In terms of um, if you agree that the person will be working at the same time when you're working, does that mean that if you light up a Zoom call, they need to go on, on video unannounced or like, can you, how do you manage a workforce remotely? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it gets easier over time. I mean, my the main client that I work for now, we've got over, uh, we're right around 20 people. And, um, you know, it's just over time developing the best practices that work for you as an organization. I am an anti-meeting person, so I'm not going to call that many meetings if I can help it. Um, with certain people on my team, like my operations assistant, for example, yes, she's more like used to getting a random uh, message from me that's just like, hey, can we just jump on a call real fast and sort this out? But I also have, you know, she's one of the people that I touch base with on a day daily basis. So I have her time zone blocked out in my calendar and I can quickly just double check like, yeah, she's online. Okay, cool. Um, I'm also, I ask people to be really vigilant about putting their Slack notifications on when they're online. So I wanna see the little green or orange, you know, active bubble next to their name. And um, I ask that they put up away messages religiously when they're gonna be away. Um, my developer this morning in Kenya, for example, it's, you know, it's my morning, but he's going off to pick up the kids from school. So he's got a little away message up, just, you know, he's going to be gone for about a half an hour. So that kind of stuff over time just really enforces um, or reinforces kind of best communication practices as a team, no matter where we are in the world. Um, and also just updating each other on where we are. I was just traveling in the US for five weeks uh, recently and went through every single time zone. So it's just a matter of updating the key people that I that needed to know, hey, you know, I'm gonna be two hours behind you right now. Hey, I'm an hour ahead of you right now and just keeping them up to speed. How did you do that? How did you update them? Just Slack messages, really. Um, if I knew it was gonna be a set amount of time, like, hey guys, for the next week, I'm gonna be in Pacific time. I could, I might send an email. But again, I've, I've structured the team so that while I'm over about 20 people, I really only touch base with two or three on a daily basis. Talk to us about best practices for structuring compensation for remote workers. Yeah, so that is tricky. <laughs> um, what I will typically do is have one of my, you know, virtual assistants go off and pull together some pretty detailed uh, uh, country compensation rates. Because I do, we don't, you know, with most of the clients that I work with, we don't have a set uh, salary, you know, because we have people from all over the world. So, like, if you go into a standard W-2 company, it's like, hey, you know, the starting wage is 50000 to whatever, and you get this many days of vacation. Here, it's so much more flexible because you've got people who are working in a country that, you know, maybe $4 an hour is a good wage versus in another country, that same position would start at $14 an hour. So um, for every person that comes in, we do some in-depth, you know, okay, where are they from? What, what are the median ranges for this um, position there? 
And then how can we adjust that to US dollars and, and so forth and so on. And the same goes in for raises because um, you have to kind of just fine tune that, okay, they've they've been with us for so long or they've they've gotten more responsibilities now, they're moving up to a new tier of responsibilities. How do we adjust the, the their wages accordingly? So we go back into that research and check to see if it's changed. But you're typically going salary, not hourly. No, we're t- I, I always hourly. So if it is hourly, then why wouldn't you just be able to check in on someone via Zoom unannounced? If I mean, if you had a developer and you want to make sure they're working on their project. I mean, I, I know that I was talking to Chris Lima years ago, mm-hmm. uh, is a, um, a DevOps guy, and he said he does that. He tells his developers, look, you know what, if, I'm, if I light up on uh, you know, Google Meet or Zoom or something, and it's during work hours, you have to take my call. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, that's the beauty of remote work in companies, right? You can set it up however however you want it to be, however you need it to be. Um, I've never personally had any issues with that. Um, I feel like the most responsive people that I need to be on are typically on. I can see them in Slack and we're talking. Um, but yeah, no, that that's absolutely valid if you've got set requirements worked out with that person. Um, I know for myself and my clients as well, we typically always are using some kind of activity tracker. And then I have a manager whose job it is to check up on that as well. So um, Upwork has a built-in native one. Uh, we use Hubstaff. We've also used Toggle Track. Um, so we we tend to stay on top of our people. And there, and there, there is that. There's that trust factor that comes into remote work, right? Um, but I have found over the years that you can really tell a lot by what's produced. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I'm not going to penalize somebody for getting done way faster if they're smart and efficient and get their work done. Um, but if I'm, you know, case, like, hey, you tie the compensation to the output rather than the hours. So that could be done in certain positions. I think it would be easier said than done in, in, in some. So example, like virtual assistant how am I going to tie compensation really to output when, you know, many of my virtual assistants have their daily tasks and weekly tasks and monthly tasks that are on a repetitive basis. But so much of the day is just me throwing stuff at them like, Hey, um, can you clean this up real quick and throw this in a presentation and let's get this out the door to X, Y, Z person. So it, it can be tricky, but no, whenever possible, I do like to tie results to, uh, or compensation to output, not, uh, just hours. Um, you like the Upwork system for managing workers. Is it functional? Do you, do you think it works well? I do. Um, and I, I will admit to being a creature of habit here. I started on Upwork as a freelancer years ago. I've just been around on it for so long. Um, they've been making quite a few updates lately, which is actually a little bit like there's really good updates, but they're shocking for someone like me who's been on it for so long. So I'm like, oh, this moved. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know where things are. But I don't do a whole lot on Upwork, to be honest. We tend to get people into our own communication ecosystem, so typically Slack, because it's just so much easier and so much um, so much more efficient. But I do love Upwork for the time tracking, the fact that they have the native built-in time tracker. People could just log in, um, start their timer, and have it tracked. And then we can get all these beautiful reports without having to put them in another system. And for payments, you know, link up a company credit card and every, I believe it's Monday, 
they, they just take the money out and make sure everybody gets paid. I mean, as someone who also manages people off of Upwork and has to deal with the, you know, the HR stuff of W9s and, and tax time and stuff, I, I really appreciate Upwork. In terms of your Slack setup, what are some of your favorite apps that you have on Slack to help you manage remote workers? Um, I like to keep Slack pretty simple because it can go out of control <laughs> really fast. Mm-hmm. I typically will have Asana or Trello or whatever the client's using uh, LinkedIn to that and typically Google Drive as well. So that way it gives me real-time updates on what's going on in Asana without having to jump to a different app. And it lets me see uh, Google comments as well. If we're editing docs together and people are adding comments in there, I can just quickly hop over and, and add those in. Um, we've typically you set up different some- channels for different clients or do you yes. just have one, one workspace? Yeah, yeah. Typically what I'm doing is getting, I, so I, I have a lot of different Slacks because if a client's working with me, I go in there, into their Slack and help them set it up. So yes, but the, even then within the clients, I also recommend, you know, creating lots of different Slack channels to keep conversations specific and the need to know people specific. Um, and then every so often, probably every every quarter to six months, We'll go in and do an audit of channels and go, look, we aren't using this as much as we thought it would, we would, or it's time to archive this. Let's close this out. What recommendations do you have for listeners who want to get onto Slack and use it to manage their remote workforce, but don't have experience setting up channels? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really pretty simple and self-explanatory. I would say to start small. Um, and to start specific. So if they've got a virtual assistant that let's say two or three people will only be assigning her work or him work, then put you know just those people in that channel and just everything that gets, gets tossed in there is the virtual assistant's responsibility to manage, maybe make an Asana task for, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you've got a developer, you know, keep that specific. If you've got um, a customer service team, keep that specific. That way, I was talking with a client earlier today, actually, and he, I was sharing my screen and he was like, you've got so many Slack channels because we keep him out of most of the Slack channels because he would just bottleneck things and, you know, throw in ideas that weren't really, weren't really necessary. So start small, start specific is, is my recommendation. So sometimes um, when I engage someone on Upwork and I want to communicate with them on Slack, they kind of freak out and go, oh my God, I'm not allowed to communicate off the platform. When you find someone like that, is that a red flag? How do you deal with that? Um, I typically just think that they're maybe kind of new or that maybe they've had a bad experience with Upwork before. Upwork did used to be very, you know, like don't take stuff off platform, but now they've got a whole setup to where you can even engage with a person completely off platform. But for communication purposes, it's fine. Um, and I think it still flashes up this little notification. Like if you say Slack, it's like, are you sure you want to take this yeah. off? You know, yeah. but no, I, I just explained to the person, Hey, no, it's totally cool. Here's the link to the, the Upwork rules. And, you know, we do everything in Slack. So So let's talk specific here because I was talking to a friend who wants to hire a virtual assistant and he wants the virtual assistant to do a lot of marketing related stuff. And he sent me a list of the things that he wanted that person to do. And I saw the list and I was thought, man, if you could find a person who could do all this, you know what? You're never going to find a person who can do all this because it was reaching too high. Okay. So we okay. went through and we um, 
scored everything one to three. Ones were the things that I thought a virtual assistant could do. Two would be someone that would be a little bit more senior. And three would be someone who would be expert. Okay. And here's what we came up with. I'm going to read you the list okay. of the number <laughs> ones. And tell me honestly, do you think this is realistic? Could you find someone who could do this? Okay. One, generate reports for clients on campaign successes. I know yes. there's, I know there's questions you may have, but uh, let me just read them through. Okay. Sure. Two, upload and share media and blog posts on WordPress. Three, update, update provided page content on WordPress site. Uh, four, program, post, and document content via an editorial calendar on Trello. Five, supply copy and hashtag recommendations for social media posts. Six, monitor for comments and DMs on social media and coordinate responses with the team. Seven, set up and manage events on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. Eight, social media management. Maintain social media accounts, profiles, and spec document. Um, nine, document tools and processes. Ten, recreate blog posts as emails for distribution. And then um, 11, schedule email blasts and generate reports. Yeah, all doable. Um, I definitely circled number seven and 10 as needing a little more, you know, guidance and training, but um, all of that is absolutely doable. And I think that like a lot of people sometimes think that, okay, so a virtual assistant that I'm hiring is, you know, someone who's not going to have that much experience because I'm not paying that much. But what we're forgetting is the the different, the cost of cost of living, right? Um, $10 in the Philippines is wildly different from $10 an hour in the US. So you're getting, you can, can get highly skilled people with a lot of these um, skills and capabilities um, on, online, on Upwork. There are, you know, I think there's millions of people on Upwork now. And the thing that really just strikes me about all of these, it would just be a matter of breaking them down and refining, right? So no one's going to come in on day one and do each of these tasks perfectly. But if you as the client have a good idea of what you want, you're able to give clear instructions, preferably video, walk them through how to do it, and then follow up to give them feedback each time. Because like what I do in the very beginning with people is have a task handoff kind of tracking system. I have the date in there that I've handed the task off and all the instructions and all the documents that they need to complete the task. And then once they're done, they tag me and I go back in and I look at it and I provide feedback. And so there's a what column for the- What do you use the, to manage that? How do you do that? Use Asana? However the client wants, yeah, either in a card in Asana or sometimes just in a Google Doc. Um, so you can actually quickly see the columns of like, this is the date, date that feedback was given. Then they go and try it again. I give further feedback and we get to a point, the end column is the date that they own it. So at the end of the, 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 the time I've got, you know, the date that they're, they're owning it, I, that column is marked green and I make it clear to them, hey, you know, you're doing great on task one. I'm officially handing this off to you and I just expect it to be done properly from here until the end of time. And that Do has you have really a shareable template I do. Sure. 
Okay, cool. So we'll make that available on the blog. Uh, go to this particular uh, uh, podcast episode and you can download that. Um, so let me proceed here because I pulled out um, the number twos that I thought were a little bit more advanced. Mm-hmm. And tell me if you think I'm right or wrong. If you think, wait a minute, no, you know what? VA could do that. Um, okay. Or no, 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 you're right. Okay. Research search engine optimization keywords in SEMrush and vidIQ. What do you yeah, think? That's, that's possible with the right training. I have a friend who works in SEO that has trained virtual assistants to do that before. Yep. Um, direct and collaborate on impactful creative for social media and Google ads. That's stretching a little bit, I'd say. You're going to need creating, someone with more specialized knowledge. Creating landing pages on HubSpot and WordPress. Yep, doable. Manage resources to fulfill creative briefs. So you get a creative brief, and there's all these different specialists who are involved in getting it done, and you have to be the one to quarterback that. Again, a little more specialized, I'd say. Um, sales automation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator to build audiences. Sounds a little more specialized to me. Create and manage email marketing calendar. Yeah, doable. And then project management of critical paths and deadlines. A little more specialized. Got it. Okay. So some of those you think are actually doable. Again, it comes down to being able to clearly specify to someone what you want and then have them carry it out. I think the difference when you're hiring for a virtual assistant versus someone more specialized is that with a virtual assistant, you're going to need to teach them how to do things the way you want them done in the beginning. Whereas if you're, say, hiring a social media manager, you're just like, hey, I hired you. This is what I want in terms of growth go out and get it done. And it's up to them to go out and do all these things and then come back to you and report on that. That's a lot of the difference that I see with a virtual assistant's very targeted in the beginning. Here's the task and here's the result that I want and here's how to do it. Is the hiring process of a specialist significantly different from the hiring process of a VA? It is not. I use virtually the same process. It just depends how in-depth I go in certain things. So obviously I'm going to have more um, meetings with a specialist in the beginning than I would with a virtual assistant. Because when I hire virtual assistants, you know, the nature of the job is online. So I don't want to spend a lot of time in meetings. I do screen recordings and I get stuff handed off as quickly as possible because for, you know, 90 to 95% of our time, we're just going to be communicating back and forth through communication tools like Slack and Asana. With a specialist, let's say, like when I hired on an operations assistant at a company, I needed to have a lot more face-to-face meetings with her in the beginning because it was like a transfer of knowledge. I'm going like, here, these are things that you're taking over from me. These are meetings you'll be sitting in. These are notes. And also like, here's the history of the company in, you know, four years and a few hours. Like, these are things that I need you to be able to understand about where we came from and then keep in mind going forward. So there's there's more in-depthness, I would say. But again, I really stick to those same, you know, same onboarding doc. It might be a lot more detailed, same task handoff kind of system in the beginning. But yeah. Michonne, if someone wants help with the VA, how do you work with people? Where can they find you? Yes, they can find me at liveworktravel.com. 
And um, I can be reached at, you know, out to on the blog there. I can also be emailed at Michonne at liveworktravel.com. I am basically taking consulting clients on a kind of a case-by-case basis. It does fluctuate throughout the year, depending on my availability. Um, I know January, February, March are pretty hot months as people like to get their ducks in a row for the new year ahead. Awesome. Well, listen, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Influence through Earn Media, get the Digital Pivot audiobook at digitalpivotbook.com.